Hello, and welcome to Living Heritage, a show about people who are engaged in the heritage and culture sector, all those who keep heritage alive at the community level. I'm Dale Jarvis, and today's guest is Catherine Anderson. Catherine is an Inuk from Nanatsiavut in northern Labrador. She's a special advisor to the president on Aboriginal affairs at Memorial University. Before joining Memorial, she worked with the Small Craft Harbors Program with the Department of Fisheries and Oceans. She was the director of the Tungasic Cultural Center, the cultural arm of the Nanatsiavut government from 2003 to 2008, and also worked as the Inatitut Language Program Coordinator with the Cultural Center. She is an alumna of Memorial University, and I am delighted to have her on the show. Catherine, good morning and welcome. Good morning. How are you? I'm well, thank you. How are you? I'm good. I'm saying it's very nice to see you. I think the last time we really talked, it was when you were still working with Small Craft Harbors. And yes, I believe it was. And now you have this exciting new job. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about the, the position that you're in now here at Memorial? Um, the special advisor to the president on Aboriginal affairs was a position that um, was created from the presidential task force report on Aboriginal initiatives at the university. Um, Dr. Evan Simpson chaired the task force. It began in 2008, or it was formed in 2008. Um, and after a number of consultations um, with people in the university community and with external Aboriginal stakeholders as well, um, a report was submitted. And in that report, there were 22 recommendations that looked at a number of different things. One of those recommendations was to have a position created at the university to coordinate um, and to be, I guess, the main point of contact for all Aboriginal affairs within the university. Right. So that was in 2009. Um, Dr. Maura Hanrahan was the first person in the position. Um, She's now at the Grenfell campus, and uh, I started here in March of this year, so just four months ago. Yeah, congratulations. I was delighted when I saw that you uh, had uh, achieved that position. It was great. Thank you. Uh, So what sort of stuff have you been working on since you've arrived? Uh, I guess first and foremost, my my main priority was to get to know people at the university, Um, so really to meet people and to listen to... um, what the issues were, um, and to meet people in the Aboriginal community as well. So um, I've met with a number of people um, and really just getting a sense of where we are and what's been done. Um, And there have been some, uh, there's been some great progress on the other recommendations in the report in the last five or six years. so really, I'm just trying to get my head around that, and uh, and within the next year, hoping to put a strategic plan in place. Uh, how how many Aboriginal students would we have at Mun? Is it is it a sizable part of the student population? We have just over a thousand students, yeah. self-identified, right? Um, and there could be more um, more than that. Um, because we know that there are some students that have not self-identified, right? But um, from the 2014 count, the September, the fall of the fall semester of 2014, we have uh, 1,080 students who have self-identified. So that's a sizable. Yeah, yeah. Number. And where are they coming from? Are they uh, from Newfoundland, from Labrador? Are they from away? From from both, mostly um, from our province. Yeah. 
um, from Newfoundland, from Labrador. Um, so we have um, five Aboriginal groups in our province. On the island, we have the two Mi'kmaq First Nation bands in Miabukek, Khan River, and then the Halibu mm-hmm. First Na- Mi'kmaq First Nation band. Um, in Labrador, we have Inuit uh, from Nunatsivut. We have Southern Inuit, um, who are represented by the Nunatuhavut Community Council, and the Innu Nation, two communities of Natwashish and Shashishi. Hmm. And what, what do you think the challenges are for students from those communities who are coming to Memorial? Or does it vary depending it, on where they're coming from? Exactly. Yeah. Um, I think it's um, it really depends on which Aboriginal group mm-hmm. and and the, I guess, where you are coming from. So a student coming from, um, say, Stephenville, going to Grenfell or coming to St. John's would have a different experience and different background than a student coming from Natwashish yes. in northern yeah. Labrador. Could be for a number of reasons. The the community and you know, um, an isolated community, but also from very different cultural backgrounds as well and linguistic backgrounds. Yes, mm-hmm. yeah. And I want to maybe maybe this is a good segue kind of into linguistic programs um, because I know there are some language courses here that are being taught uh, at the university. Can you can you describe some of what's happening here in terms of linguistics and, and language programs? Sure. Um, there are a number of courses listed in the calendar. Um, more in the past number of years, we the university has offered some linguistics courses in Inuktitut, um, and Doug Warham has um, has taught those both here on at the St. John's campus and as well at the Labrador Institute in Goose Bay. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some courses listed in the calendar for Inuimun, but I don't think those have been taught in a while. Right. Um, and I think I'm not sure about Mi'kmaq, to be honest. Yeah, because we, right we are seeing kind of in the broader community kind of a, a recognition that, uh, you know, that language is a really important part of the maintenance of culture. You know, and that we, we mm-hmm. need we need to have students speaking their own languages. We need just people in the community need to be able to speak their own languages. Yeah. And I know that this was certainly something that you were involved with when you were in Labrador. Yes, and I'm I'm glad you mentioned that because it just um, popped into my into my head about the um, Inuit Bachelor of Education program that's currently being offered at the Labrador Institute. It's a partnership between Memorial University and the Nunatsiavut government. Um, one of the unique things about that program is that they have incorporated the Labrador Institute Training Program, which is an adult, um, a curriculum based for adult learners um, that was developed by the Nunatsivut government, the Tungasa Cultural Center. And it's a modular program that focus, focuses very much on conversational um, so rather than your traditional kind of formal um, grammar, kind of formal grammar, yeah. it's very much very much uh, conversation based. So they've incorporated that, and they are just started that program. I think a week or two ago. Oh, great! Yeah, yeah. so that's very exciting. Yeah. And so that mm-hmm. would be largely for students who are who are from Labrador. Do you think is that? Uh, it's yeah. uh, from student uh, for students who are um, have Inuit background. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. 
So when you were when you were in in Labrador working on programs there, can you talk a little bit about some of the projects that you were involved with as the director of the the cultural center? Sure. I mean, I know you did a lot. <laughs> we could be here for days <laughs> talking about that. I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was. Uh, I did a number of um, it, cultural heritage language programs. My background is in linguistics, yeah. and I did a lot of work on language revitalization programs. So the LITP, the Labrador Institute Training Program that they are using it at the Inuit Bachelor of Education program. Now, that was a program that uh, we started when I was director. Um, so it's very exciting for me to see that kind of, you know, those many years of um, work going into uh, the preparation and the development of the program to see that kindly co- finally come to fruition. So that's exciting. Um I also worked on a strategy um, for a 50-year language strategy. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was important because we, when you're looking at trying to revitalize a language um, and you have um, minimal resources, human resources, financial resources, um, it's really important to be strategic in your thinking and how you're going to, what's important, what's the most important thing to do first, and then you can follow that with, you know. So um, putting a strategy in place is important. Yeah. Um, we also finished up a, a dictionary. So the um, Inuktitut English Dictionary uh, was finished when I was director. Um, we worked, we had a storytelling yeah, um, I remember the workshop. storytelling. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that was fantastic. We had elders come in from all the communities, and um, we set up tents in the community so that the stories were told in a more traditional setting. And uh, it just the the feeling that um, the participants talked about afterwards of. Um, being in that setting and speaking in Uktitut and listening to people's stories, it's so powerful. Yeah. And I'm sure, I mean, you know that more than any <laughs> of us, I'm sure. Yeah. No, it is it is really important. Uh, you know, it was interesting. I, I was having a a conversation a while back with some of the, the, the people with Halibu, Mi'kmaq, First Nation, and, and we were talking about <clears throat> kind of oral history. And I think there's a concern sometime with some of the elders in the community about that... Uh, this Western idea that you you record oral history and put it in an archive isn't really the right way to do things. And I was saying, you know, what what you really need to do is just f- figure out when people told stories, told stories, and then kind of create opportunities for those opportunities for those mm-hmm. types of activities to happen. Yeah, the stories will kind of take care of themselves if you give people the opportunity to speak and to come together and, and mm-hmm. share stories. You know, stories are a living thing, and they need to be talked. You know, they need to be talked through. They can't just sit in, on a CD in a in a exactly. linguistics lab somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, which reminds me, one of the things that um, I'm I'm still involved uh, with the planning for the cultural center. So that was when I was director. That was something um, that we just kind of started getting off the ground. Yeah, um, it'd been something that had been talked about for years, um, but uh, it's really so taking shape now. So for people who maybe aren't familiar with the, the this is the cultural center in Maine. Yes. 
because it's a very exciting, amazing, beautiful building, mm-hmm. and it's going to be a, it's going to be quite a it's going to be a a gem, I think, for the province. You yeah. Know? Can Can you explain a little bit about that center for people who might not be familiar with it? Sure. Um, it's uh, it's going to be called Illusoak, which is an Inuktitut word for um, sod house. Um, but it will be a place where we can showcase our history, our culture. It'll be a gathering place. Um, it'll be a place where people can come in and look at stuff and continue that tradition of telling stories. There will be um, a room in there where uh, you can sit around it shaped in a you know, kind of like an igloo. So you can mm. go in and sit down and tell those stories. Um, there's going to be a little cafe there so you can have your food and that's so important. Okay, so I might be able to get some Panitsiak. Uh. Yes. <laughs> Very good. These interviews yeah. always come back to food. Maybe I think that has something to do with me because <laughs> I think with my stomach. But, uh, yeah. yeah. So it's um, it's going to be, I think, a real... Um, it's going to be something that I think we can all be proud of for yeah. sure. And the design of the building is quite stunning. It is. Yeah. It is absolutely stunning. Um, I can't remember the name so of it. Uh, Todd Saunders. Is, is that it Todd? Yes, the I think it is. Yeah. It is. Yeah. So it's a it's a, a quite an it's going to be quite an impressive building. It's going to be very different from yeah. anything that's ever been constructed in Labrador. I yeah. Think. And yeah. there's a lot of work going into the um, the development of the exhibits and. It's really coming from the people. So we have a, an exhibit advisory group in place mm-hmm. um, with a cross-section of um, different ages and genders and f- representative of all the communities in Nunatsiavut and Upper Lake Melville and the Canadian constituency. Um, and when I say can- Canadian constituency, that's... Um, in the Nunatsiavut government, uh, there is uh, there are two seats that represent Nunatsiavut beneficiaries who live outside of okay. yeah. Nunatsiavut, the land claims area, and Upper Lake Melville. So um, that's a Canadian constituency. So there are representatives from every community and every seat in the Nunatsiavut government. Mm. Um, and we're going to have, uh, there's going to be faces of Nunatsiwut, so we're going to have pictures of people from all the communities, so you can go in there and see pictures of your ancestors, but pictures of your family today, yeah. and it's it's going to be It's going to be very exciting. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we were talking about language and the importance of, of maintaining language to culture. Uh, how how healthy is is our Indigenous languages in the province? Or maybe we'll start with Labrador in the Nazi of it. How healthy are our language is Indigenous language there? I would say of the Aboriginal languages in Newfoundland and Labrador, Inuimun is by far the healthiest. Yeah. Um, they have, they still have children speaking. Yes. You know, it's their first, first language. First language, yeah. Um, and Inuktitut is... I would say threatened. Inuktitut in Labrador is threatened. Um, we have very few... I'm trying to think if we have any, maybe a handful of children 
who are learning Inuktitut as a first language. Mm-hmm. We in, um, implemented a language nest program in Hopedale. Many, I think it was back in two thousand and one. Um, but and and that's had some success. But um, we really uh, needed to have other programs in place for when the infants came out of that program. So uh, I would say Inuktitut is is definitely threatened. Most of the speakers are in late 40s, 50s, 60s age groups. And I know even within that language family, like there are certain dialects that are more at threat than others, like the Rigolette. The Rigolette dialect. um, And I'm not, I think, and I could be mistaken, but I think the last speaker of the Rigolette dialect passed away but I don't know if maybe you can take that out of the interview because <laughs> I'm not 100% oh, yes. sure. <laughs> don't quote us on this. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, it is a, but it is a very threatened a threatened aspect of, of culture in some ways. Yeah. It is very much so. And, I mean, language is such an important part of culture because so much of your worldview and just um, cultural practices and... It is contained in the language, and yeah. a lot of that can't be is difficult to, you know, translate into into English. Yeah, I, we have seen some other things that have have kind of come back. I know, um, probably twenty years ago, there weren't very many, if there were any, drum dancers mm-hmm. in Labrador, and now it's kind of become a a cool thing for teenagers almost. You know, it's uh, it's astonishing to see that that a tradition can come back. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think it was back in the late 90s, um, uh, groups from Nain and Hopedale, um, really, they they had an elder come down from Nunavut. Yes. And help those groups establish themselves. And and now it's it's continued on almost 20 years later, and it's just getting stronger. So... That's something I think that um, is so good to see yeah. that that youth really have, you know, they were the ones that started it and they've continued and it's become a really um, something very important in the community again now. I, I remember a couple of several years ago now um, through the Aboriginal Cultural Heritage uh, Program, which is a, a grant program through mm-hmm. the through the Department of uh, Tourism, Culture, and Recreation. There was funding that had gone to a drum dance group in, in Makovic, I think, for regalia and for some drums. And, and what I remember being impressed with with that project was that it was, it was all teenagers. And part of the program was that the teenagers were going into the daycare and, uh, and these kids were seeing, like, the cool kids drum dancing. You know, it wasn't some old people who were yeah. doing things. It was like, oh, yeah, they're the cool kids. So now we're going to, we want to do that, you know, because, uh, you know, we see people who are closer to us doing these kinds of things. Yeah, yeah. And I think it it means a lot for the youth, too, who I think with the, the language, um, a lot of youth don't speak Inuktitut. And I think it's hard for a lot of youth because they want to have that connection. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is one tangible way that they can really connect with um, with our culture. Something that was um, 
really taken away from Inuit um, when the Moravians came in that they weren't allowed to practice drum dancing. They weren't allowed to continue if they wanted to be a part of, um, I guess, the church community, that they had to abandon these certain traditions. traditions. And for I think it's it's great to see youth um, pick that up and continue it now, um, and I think it means a lot. Do you have a favorite tradition or aspect of uh, culture in Labrador that you are that you kind of have an emotional connection to? Um, the thing that comes to mind for me is is really just going off on the land. Yeah, um, it's. I think something that's extremely powerful and personal for people. Um, And you'll hear it every spring. If you go into any community on the North Coast, it's something people are, it's it's really in the blood Mm -hmm. that you, people need to get off on the land. And uh, springtime is very, is a time of year where it's, Traditionally, you go off to your um, which is your, your summer camp, and before the ice breaks up, you stay there until the ice breaks up, and then you come back to the community by boat. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, uh, and peop- every, every family has their own, their own place, so, um, and their traditional... I guess camping I, grounds. I read an interview that you had done somewhere, maybe on on the Mun website, about uh, that one of your favorite places was uh, in Okak. That that was uh, your family had had, uh, yeah. had a cabin there. Or, uh, yeah, yeah. That's where my dad was born, um, and where he lived until he was eight. When um, the families, you know, families from Okak were relocated to the southern to the southern communities, right. Um, and in the 80s, he went back and built a cabin um, in Okuk Bay. And for me, that is my favorite place to go. Yeah. It's very, um, it's just very powerful. I can't even, it's hard to explain, but anybody I've met who's gone up north has said the same thing. It's You don't know what it is, but it's just... Yeah, yeah, and I've been to Okak. I I have been there. Not many people can say that they've no. been there because it's it it is an, a, a resettled community. So there's yeah, unless you have family there, you know, who have a connection there. There's not a lot of there's not a lot of tourists. Let's so put it. So when this were way. you in Okak? I, that was a long time ago because I was doing work on the Moravian mission buildings in uh, Hebron, and uh, and uh, we had gone up there in boat. And we had stopped at Okak because I wanted to look at the the remains of the old Moravian mission. The foundations were still there. Yeah. And what I remember, and I think I was having a conversation with, um, we did an interview here on the show with uh, Kevin O'Coin with the Agricultural History Society. And I think I was talking about this with him about rhubarb. Yeah. That there's still, does it still grow wild? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so this was something that the Moravians, I guess, had brought in and it still grows in And it Okuk. still grows yeah. there. Amazing. And I remember as a kid... Um, you know, maybe nine or ten years old, and we go up in the summertime. <clears throat> excuse me, and um, go over to Okuk, and Dad would always, you know, cut the rhubarb down. And I remember, okay, then we we left. You're back out in the boat, and 
take your stock of rhubarb and dunk it in the sugar and <laughs> just eat it raw with sugar. Yeah. And, yeah. So it always comes back to food. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Again. <laughs> Again, yeah. But it's true. You know, I think that there is something powerful about food. It's a great way to kind of reintroduce people to, to their own culture or to get people thinking or talking about what's, what's uh, special to yeah. them. Yeah. Yeah. Food has the power to do that. Food like language or dance or other mm-hmm. things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so for the for the community here at, at Memorial, you are in you're in kind of that urban context. You know, you're in an academic academic setting. What what opportunities are there for students who are coming from smaller communities to kind of get together and and kind of uh, you know discuss or explore their Aboriginal heritage here at Mun? Well, at uh, at the St. John's campus, um, we have the Aboriginal Resource Office, um, which is uh, managed and by Sheila Freak, she's the Aboriginal uh, Resource Office Coordinator, and Sonia Clark Casey. Oh, okay, yes. Yeah. Yep. And um, they offer throughout the year a number of programs that enable students to come together and, ha- you know, have a bite to eat and chat and um, or work on crafts. Mm-hmm. Um, the university has a, an MOU with the St. John's Native Friendship Center, so um, they often send up someone who will hold a, a craft workshop, um, working with seal skin or making uh, dream catchers or jewelry or um, whatever it might be. Um, but it's a real good way for um, for students to just gather with other Aboriginal students. And it's not limited to Aboriginal students. Anybody can drop by. So if you're interested in learning about one of our Aboriginal cultures in this province, this is a great way to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're, they're very much, um, the Aboriginal Resource Office is very much about that, about bringing, you know, providing space for Aboriginal students to get together, but providing that opportunity for other students to come in and get to know Aboriginal students as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, looking looking forward from your your new your new position in your you know your fancy office, you know, what are you? What's your next? <laughs> what's your next big? What's a big project that you would like to see happen? Or, or what is your kind of goal? What's one thing you would like to see happen with your position? Um, there are a number of things that I'd like to see. Um, uh, one of them is. To see an Aboriginal uh, an Aboriginal studies program, yeah, that'd be great. So that would be an interdisciplinary program, um, and there's been quite a bit of work done on that. So that would really just be mean kind of moving forward with that, or looking at it, seeing what you know of what's been done, what can work, what might need some readjustments, and then move that forward. Um, so I think. That would be something that would be um, great to have, much needed on this campus. Mm-hmm. One of the things that um, is already being worked on is a new Aboriginal house, which is a, a building that will be um, on campus, centrally located, um, that will be for a, you know an actual building, a place for students to gather. Um, right now, we do have a bit of space on the fourth floor of the university center, but this would be an Aboriginal-specific building 
Um, and again, it would invite people from the whole university community into to learn and to share in Aboriginal culture. Yeah, I was at uh, University of Victoria last summer, and they have a building like that on campus, and it's beautiful, beautiful building, and it's it, it really adds to the to the university community. Well, I think it demonstrates that um, you know the university's commitment um, to the Aboriginal population of our province that. And and it says it really has a strong statement, you know, that um, we welcome you here. And, you know, as Aboriginal students, we belong here. So I think that's in a very physical way, very much so property makes um, makes it so much more visible, which I think is very important. Well, I think that's a, an excellent place in which to, to finish up. We're, we're drawing to the end. So I just want to say uh, nakamek for coming on the show. Thank Kito you very much. <laughs> and uh, it's been a delight to have you. Um, you've been listening to Living Heritage. This is a program of CHMR and the Heritage Foundation of Newfoundland and Labrador's Intangible Cultural Heritage Office. I'm Dale Jarvis, and our production assistant is Tara Barrett. You can find us online at ichblog.ca or on iTunes. Thank you for listening.